drop. Hey there, everybody. My name is Christian Wynn, the director of StoryFort, and you're listening to StoryFort Presents Voices of Treeport Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treefort Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, though this year, because of COVID-19, we've been rescheduled, postponed until September 23rd through 27th at this point. But we're here to tell you about all things Treefort. So today we're airing an episode that we uh, recorded oh, a few months ago right, when we first started putting these things together with our partners, friends at Radio Boise. So we are hanging in there. Our team's doing well, staying busy. And, uh, you know, things are opening back up a bit here in Boise, Idaho, but uh, we're still mostly sheltering in place and, you know, staying safe. We really hope you're all doing the same. So enjoy this episode from the early recording days of this podcast. So here you go. Enjoy. And wash the knee. Wayne and Jessica, welcome to Story Fort Presents. You know, I really wanted to start out just by sort of defining your roles, because I know, you know, you can go to the station's website and you'll see station manager and you'll see program manager, and then you'll go further down and you'll see music director. I always thought a program director was a music director. (laughs) (laughs) But so why don't you just start by kind of giving us and our listeners an idea of what it is you do and how that differs. Why don't you start, Jessica? Okay. So I am the general manager, which of course the joke is I generally manage everything. Uh And in terms of what I do, my role, uh, well, constantly evolving. But I'd say the, you know, if people are familiar with what an executive director to nonprofit does, that's really, that that is my jam. That's your background. Yeah. Starting about 2000, that's when I really got into nonprofits and uh, actually started in the environmental conservation field, though. Well, and weren't you a park ranger too? Yeah, I worked for the Forest Service for several seasons um, as a wilderness ranger, including here in the in Idaho in the Frank Church. And how, just to just to digress a bit, mm-hmm. is that, are, are you the person explaining to us the history of the place? Are you the person out there pointing out butterflies? Or are you the person climbing the mountain? Well, well, I'd say all three. It's environment, education, and enforcement. Okay, enforcement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, ooh, ooh. Sidearm. Yeah, no sidearm, although people were always baffled that I wasn't carrying a gun. They were just... Not even a flare gun? Not even a flare gun. They were always like, why is this random woman just wandering out in the middle of nowhere and had a lot of guys like, why don't you have a pistol? You know, kind of... Well, just some bear like spray. That. Bear Maybe spray, yes. Okay. I did always bring that. But um, As a city dweller, I'll tell you, there's stuff out there that can kill you. Oh, yeah, there is. <laughs> but it, it, I'd say my main thing of being a rangers you realize how many people come close to doing it themselves just by being very unprepared back oh yeah 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 so how much of that well not the ranger job but nonprofit executive director and general manager is fundraising (laughs) it feels like an endless (laughs) i'm sure that it i mean it's pretty much it's tied to everything that we do and i think the trick is how do you do that in a way that's mindful and and connects with people in a way that isn't that isn't corporate that Mm -hmm. uh because actually some nonprofits as they get more and more established uh gets a little blurry yeah uh very very blurry so you know but really the culture of fundraising really informs not everything that we do a lot of times we do want things to be very distinct from that but in terms of when you are messaging communicating about funding it's keeping that the spirit of what you're asking for um is it i mean and for both of you is it relentless Mm-hmm. It must feel relentless. Oh yes, yeah. it's it's relentless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, okay, Wayne, you're on the hot seat now. Okay, program you're, director. You're program director, not musical <laughs> not director. Music director. <laughs> no, not music director. It's just part of where you're at in terms of your evolution. When you're starting a nonprofit, you're always basically trying to keep the walls from falling on you. And so who ends up in what role becomes a little bit random, I mm. think. Probably we have a music director beyond having a program director because the program director also does all the production stuff, like creates all the mix downs for the underwriting, all of that. And then is also the chief videographer. Back up and, a second. 
I'm a justice of the peace, too. Uh, <laughs> so we can all get married. Uh, I, I back. I want to know what a mixed up, mixed down for. What was it you said? Mixed so Arbor. For? So the nonprofit version in right. media of advertising is okay. underwriting. It's it's like denatured advertising, right? It's uh, where you know you can't use qualitative language. It's like it's just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Okay. But we, unlike a lot of other radio stations in the country, actually put music underneath. We use music beds. Mm. So we try to create an aesthetic, and we made that decision at the very beginning. And that was actually my first role at the radio station officially, other than being an overworked volunteer, right, which is a lot of people's roles. And you were involved since before the radio station went on the air, right? Yeah, quite a long while ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was probably just a breath after the seed of the idea started. The idea started in 2003. The Community Radio Project. The Community Radio Project, that's right, with terrible graphics. Sorry, Jeff Abrams, (laughs) you're a great guy. And after that, in 2004, they started to do a webcast version of the radio station like this is how it might sound just as a placekeeper and also to bolster our you know the viability of our application for an FCC license and and were you tracking listenership at that time or you just throwing it out there just if anyone listens great ironically we probably were a little more thorough in tracking listenership because yeah because it was all webcast stuff you know in in the world of like terrestrial media which is what a radio station is it's a tower shooting signals to another tower right Mm -hmm. you Nielsen a place like that has a monopoly on the data gathering and that really is something the gating factor is quite a bit of money and we haven't really paid for that yet we try to track stuff in different ways but i would say our probably tracking was a little more thorough during the webcast days just because of what we had access to and do you think now doing terrestrial doing terrestrial radio is an interesting decision now Mm. because i almost feel like you could have also decided well we're just going to do a podcast Sure. And we'll just play music instead, and it'll be really easy. Sure. But instead, you built this thing, you know, whether you were there at the beginning or you came on a little bit the ways through. I'm interested in the thinking, not the thinking, the passion that goes into this project, because yeah. you also could have decided to be like 93.1 DJ, but you just chose not to. Yeah, exactly. You mean in my history, as yeah. far as not, not being a commercial DJ? Well, I think partly, like to answer the terrestrial question, I imagine the people that started that were people that came from, a, you know, a formative experience with terrestrial radio, right? Like we, Well, and these options weren't there in 2002. Yeah, well, we were the biggest media market in the country without a community radio station, which wow. is really something. I mean, we're the most isolated mid-sized city in the country. So... At, you guys wear that like a badge of honor. <laughs> we do. We'll defend our I know we do. It explains some of our slight remaining innocence. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I got, I got derailed there just thinking you're not innocent. Thinking yeah. about it. No, I'm totally, I'm so tainted. I'm the most tainted person you're in You're going back through your salty history, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. And speaking of salty history, let's, let's, let's use now to define the difference between community radio and public radio. And I want to start with Wayne, you telling your story of your experience with sure. public radio when you were in college. Sure, your timing's good. I came clean last year. I kept yeah. I kept a cloak around it for a while, and it was really strange because kids, like even like kids coming out of the audio visual department at Boise State, go, "Hey, I were heard I, I heard something about you." Oh. <laughs> and, and you know, honestly, I've got to come clean. I I lay that at the feet of Curtis Steigers more than anybody. Oh, really? He promulgated that myth. Oh, (laughs) what is this myth? I need to know. Well, so back in the old days, it was a college-run radio station. Typical, scruffy college kids were in management. There was one or two faculty advisors. It started in 1977, and I joined in 1984, I think, something like that. It was at a grand whopping total of 3,000 watts. To contrast that with Radio Boise now, we're close to 8,000 watts. We're definitely a full power station. And in the summer of 1987, a team of reformers came in. Ooh. That's, that's <laughs> with, with, mm-hmm. with their slight deceitful evangelical. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't know. Also, historically, I've had consistent for this region. 
What's that? Evangelical reformers, very consistent for the reasons. Perhaps, perhaps, <laughs> yeah. Street preachers from Louisiana. They, they came in and they were they were hired to. Uh, it became clear to us over months they were hired to to turn the college radio station into an NPR affiliate. So to professionalize it. To professionalize it, and um, it was. And I and I said this in in the. Um, there was a podcast that Eric Jones over at KBSU put together about a year ago called I Used to Listen to KBSU, which was oh. a sticker that was very prominent after the conversion. <laughs> you know, it disgruntled the community. You can't argue with the results. But I said it then, and I'll say it now, is that the existence of NPR is a great thing. NPR is, is a cherished entity. What I took issue with in that six months, being pretty young and pretty idealistic, but I do think I would probably make the same decision now, is how the whole thing went down. Mm-hmm. It was to this day, and perhaps I've led a sheltered existence, the most deceitful, uh, really, two-faced mm. experience I've ever been through, and that's what I had a problem with. So, yeah, I mean, it was just done with a lot of lies, and uh, we were all shrunken down. In fact, I was asked to stay to be the nighttime guy, but I had already made my decision, and in the dead of night, when I was doing my final show, I put in a 30-minute cassette with my litany of gripes. And just walked oh. out. Walked out. Yep. Went, went home, went to a party, and listened to myself on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And that was it. And that was and what it. was the fallout? I guess what could they do? Nothing. I mean, they they there was a... Um, at the time, you couldn't leave a station unpersoned because of uh, FAA regulations. So I got a threatening letter from the management at KBSU, a fellow named Jim Paluzzi, who left, I think, finally like in 2002, and uh, they never followed up on it. Those rules have been changed because of corporate media you know, wanting things to be like the Bob, to be automated. Oh, right. So right. a little bit of lobbying took care of that antiquated rule. Sort of ironic. A little. Yeah. yeah <laughs> a little. So, yeah, the, the fallout really, for me, was more interpersonal than anything. I swore off listening to NPR, at least this affiliate, for eh, 25 years or so. Really? You know? Wow. But the new management came in, and, and really, I mean, I... I think the people that are over there now are great. And if you look at the way they've started to, I've always heard that the NPR station in Boise described as creating, like building a moat around themselves, between themselves <laughs> and the community as it became a little more uh, monolithic and nationally, like national programming. You yeah, know what okay. I mean? But you can see that loosening up, yeah, particularly mm-hmm. in the under the auspices of Tom Michael. And yeah. I, I think it's very encouraging. I have a hard so, time seeing how that would be successful given what I've learned about this community yeah. from talking mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. It seems like the kind of place that would resist that. Sure pretty sure. blatantly. And there might be new data since last I checked, but you know, the literally the latest the data with like NPR and national programming is that their listenership is is aging, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're not only aging, but some of them are dying. That happens. <laughs> we age and then we die. We but, age and then we yeah, die. Yeah. Yeah. We should say too that I should chime in that we work, you know, with you as a station and they and with uh, K, um, KBS. K, KB KBSU KBSX KBSU, yeah. KBSX, yeah, that's yeah. what I meant to say. And yeah. it's been great. I think, like you know, Tom and and uh, Frankie and yeah. that team. It's been cool to see you guys I, kind I, of I, you know kind of merge some of your programming. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like them a lot, and I think a lot of the stuff they've done is really encouraging. I mean, you featured some of that in the campfire stories, right? Some campfire and then the done. couch surfer. You know, right. with, you know, Frankie yep, and Tom both on that. But yeah, it's kind of cool yeah. to see that. So it has. Become, I think the community has kind so of come together in a way that once Wayne came back into the fold and you mm. turned his radio to <laughs> yeah. you know, NPR once again. Oh, <laughs> peace. So, but then, so peace. there were a lot of years where you weren't involved in radio. Were you involved in other stuff, other radio stuff. I wasn't so much. Well, like many of us. So what's interesting about the 1977 part is so many of those guys went on to be iconic local commercial DJs. Bob Lilly, Carl Scheider, a lot of those guys, right? Great voices. And they just became part of the local community. But until a certain period of time, you know, DJs could still largely select the music that they played. We all know that that's changed a lot in commercial mm-hmm. radio. And so I did the same, and so did a contemporary of mine, Tim Johnstone, who works at the River to this mm-hmm. day, yeah. which mm-hmm. I admire his tenacity, you know? I mean, it's great. But I did it, and it just wasn't for me. 
I was the nighttime DJ at Sunny 63. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but that's not the nighttime DJ voice. That's the nighttime DJ voice is a little more Johnny Fever. We had to do it all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we were very unevolved. Yeah. That was wake up guy's voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it was kind of everything. It was like doing the nighttime stuff and then no one ever wanted to DJ on Sunday. So I came in and hosted a cinema show and stuff like that. What was really funny about it was it was on the fourth floor of the Owyhee Plaza. There was a big picture window that looked west, and when we were reading the forecast, which we had to do, <laughs> we would actually have to stand on a chair, look through the window, and the old Holden Federal Bank had a sign that had the oh, temperature. The yeah, oh, right now really it's, fun. so that's you'd always hear this, right now in downtown Boise, it's 79 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So, Jessica, we, we did gloss over one thing in your bio. Is that how you got interested in radio? That is a great question. Well, and with all this, I, you know, I grew up in Boise during the Did you the know time. all this was going on? You know, I did a little bit. My dad actually taught at Boise State for 30-plus years, so he was in the English department there. And actually, my parents are big classical music fans, and, you know, the uh, the household rule whenever my dad was listening was, you know, only classical. But hmm. he was, I mean, I vaguely kind of picked up. I was born in 76. So I grew up in the largest metro area in the country without a community radio station. And, um, but memories of that time are a little <laughs> foggy. But um, but my dad, even though he was a classical music fan, also was not a fan of what happened with the station. But so radio, I'd say- He had one of those stickers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used to listen to KVSU. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. I think if I'd grown up here with a KBSU as it was or a Radio Boise, I probably would have, I would not have been surprised if I would have gravitated toward radio kind of throughout my career. But in terms of my background in radio, I'd say the background in community-based nonprofits is really Mm -hmm. what made that, you know, when I was keeping an eye out for job listings in Boise because we were trying to think about coming back. but But I was very dedicated to, I'm going to find the right place and the right fit. And... I was scanning and saw the, you know, saw the posting. And then I actually started asking a couple of friends in town that, hey, what's kind of going on with this? Would that be a good fit? And then uh, I was, I threw in. Well, and then how's it been now that your business is radio? Does that feel different than other businesses you were in before? Yes, it feels more open-minded in terms of the, what radio does. Although the community-based aspect, there's still, I will say from (laughs) the, it's odd in sort of the trail building environmental stewardship world. There is a huge connection with creativity there. And it's about building something and actually working in a way that's, you know, it's not just swinging tools. It's really about the connection and what it does on the community-based level. And that is the same. And that's what I love about the two different. And um, and what about the role of being in in a creative industry? mm -hmm. Because I think you were a creative writing major, weren't you? Or double major? Double major in psychology and creative writing. Oh, better watch what um, you say. I know. Yeah, the, well, exactly. And in terms of creativity, but also I think that um, that sort of just dogged focus on change. And I will say the main difference between like an environmental stewardship <laughs> group is it's really about how do we stem the tide of negative change, and mm-hmm. radio is about what is in the future of Positive change. change. Positive change. And, and how, how, how does it contrast working with environmental types versus radio wackos? Well, I would, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> apt, apt I think I read an, I think I read an article about you that said it was like herding cats. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that, I'd say the difference, um, particularly when you're working with a group that works with federal agencies. You know, I will say I had an amazing experience within the Forest Service because you have a lot of people who are just dedicated to what they are doing. But they have to deal with bureaucracy. But you find these really amazing, dedicated, interesting folks kind of on that district level where they are really focused on the community. And a lot of them don't end up <laughs> at middle management or necessarily on in D.C. Some of them do. Like they'll, they'll go, okay, I want to make this better. But it was that frustration that I saw on a daily level of, you know, these great dedicated on-the-ground folks just running into these roadblocks. Hmm. Um, and they were all fixable roadblocks um, in terms of hiring or funding. When I was at the Dillon Ranger District um, with the friends group that was partnered with that, they'd had at their max like 25 full-time staff and they were down to eight when oh. I was there. Hmm. And the frustration there was that partnerships, even though they were viewed very 
like for the right reasons. This is just about connecting people and move from doing all the, the fun white hat projects that they would talk about. You know, the, hey, no, we're just doing, it's fun. It's people connecting to we, you know, the agency basically, we can't get this work done without, <laughs> you know, engaging the community in this way. So it was more about doing the job, but, you know, basically coming in to, to do the work and there was still that shared passion for it. But the pressure from the funding side just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and at, at Radio Boise, is everyone from you guys down to whatever part-time DJ comes in there and does one show a week, are they aware of the fundraising process? How so? You mean in terms of the structure? Is everyone on this page or are there DJs who come and go, I don't want to hear about this fundraising stuff, just let me play my music? That we don't get much. Um, but I think because we do really emphasize, you, you can fundraise and ask <laughs> and in a way that doesn't feel... <laughs> icky for lack of a yeah. better word yeah and that, you guys I, do a really great creative job of you know i think kind of these fun drives and mm-hmm. um, parties you put on and ravels and all that kind of stuff so i think it's everybody i mean my involvement is pretty limited there but it's been great to see like how the community of community radio kind of comes together and mm-hmm. everybody pitches in and you know is enthusiastic about all that so it seems like a, a good big family there good big family and mm-hmm. yeah and probably before you didn't come to work and find like passed out debauched guitarists lying on <laughs> couches no i think that predated me okay uh, by the time i yeah. got there it was it still had a slight dorm room feel <laughs> uh we're debauched inside we keep it a little more shielded maybe right. yeah exactly it's a mature sort of debauchery yeah <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to actually one more thing. So, uh, did do you th- did we define the difference between community radio and, and public radio? It's really just the pre- presence of NPR. No, not quite that simple. I I think the funding mechanisms are a little bit different, and I probably am not completely up to date on all of it. But you know, the whole NPR network has been a thing that has encouraged local stations or college stations. I mean, it's a very common marriage between NPR affiliates becoming or taking over college stations. stations yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what has gotten encouraged over the years is like accepting the NPR's suite of programming. I think there are certain percentages tied to that. So you feel throughout the course of them raising money and they still do fund drives, they still appeal to the local population for swag and money and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they seem to struggle with where that's going to come from, right? Sometimes they'll go, well, let's cut away to our national programmers, and they'll do the pitch. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll have local phone bankers, and the arc of it is very interesting because it keeps going back and forth, and I think they're not quite settled on where that comes from. Well, and by that definition, I would think that there's a very important difference then between community radio Absolutely. And, and public mm-hmm. radio. Yeah, I'm curious on that note, just like programming wise, you probably have so much more freedom. I'm, I'm, I'd be curious for you two to list off maybe some of the, maybe some of your favorite shows, or just some of the shows you featured, because it's really quite diverse, the type of music, the type of... At Radio Boise. Yeah, Radio mm-hmm. Boise, and how that would, you know, yeah. is different than at a, an, an NPR affiliate. You sure, know, so. and where those decisions are made. Yeah. Yeah, well... The stump speech often is like people want to know, well, what is Radio Boise, you know? And I think if you have people that didn't grow up with community radio, you start to, you have to start from scratch, right? And the way that we usually start with it is like, well, it's an alternative to every, every other piece of corporate media out there, meaning that DJs still select what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always start with the stuff that has bigger handholds like jazz, blues, roots, stuff like that. Those are very popular shows, and they're not going to stop being popular shows. But we also try to honor every as many pockets of people's weird musical tastes as possible, meaning that if you listen to Radio Boise during the day, particularly on a weekday, you're going to hear more garden variety indie yeah, than you're going to hear anywhere else. And a lot Eric of, Gilbert uh, among them, you know, the absolutely. festival director, yeah. Antler Kraus. I mean, we call him Tim, but... Tim, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eric, Eric and Tim <laughs> Gilbert, yeah. <laughs> and, but, but that gives rise to, like, the, state, the shows that happen at night, right? It's mm-hmm. like shows that become a little more eclectic. They go to deeper, you know... And so album cuts and stuff like that. And you had mentioned uh, people who hadn't grown up with community radio, which I think is a key point. How do you convince a 19 year old to not listen to Spotify and listen to you instead? The simplest answer I have is to give them the keys to the car. Mm. 
and it's been very interesting. There used to be an entire process, and if you're 19 years old and you're listening to this podcast, God bless you. Come see me. <laughs> uh, we've cut out all. We've cut out the the steps. It's like you, you know. I mean, there's always a check on that. It's not that you have to pass a cool test as far as like you. If you don't like wax a hatch, you get the hell out of here. Right? <laughs> it's more like there's a few sort of selected questions I'll ask people to sort of try to deduce whether their their participation with music is somewhat open-minded, mm-hmm. meaning, also, meaning that they're committed to discovery. Now, you also have to, they also, I would assume, have to pass a test that is that guarantees they're going to show up. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And it starts with volunteering, right? And yeah. That, and that's where the whole, I mean, that ties in with the fundraising message or the question that you were asking earlier. It's like, yeah, we can't really do this thing unless you do something beyond coming in and playing music, you know, mm-hmm. sadly enough. But a lot of that stuff's really fun. You want to run a camera to shoot a band that plays live? Totally cool. <laughs> Are you yeah. kidding me? But you all got to be you know? rowing the boat in the same direction. Yes. And and that's probably what strikes some uninitiated people as a little bit funky about Radio Boise. The oars in the water at uh-huh. different places, you know. And and that's what we work on. That's the main challenge of our job. Speaking it's been kind of cool to see some of this, like the, the that poetry show or the you know the the sports show. We were on the infield dirt. Yeah, and Larry, you would be a good guest on that sometime. Oh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, and then just you know sort of the straight theater. So he's doing more than music on on air, and he did like live um, radio play and all that kind of stuff recently. So that's yeah, kind of we're cool trying thing. to explore ways that we can participate with the community. Right, if there are playwrights that are willing, like say Heidi Cray, who's on uh, a few of our other events, she she writes a radio play and suddenly she and the theater community have a place to be involved with Radio Boise. It's really pretty simple that way. I mean, the ramp up to it is a little bit difficult. It's always a mm-hmm. constant, like you say, Larry, relentless. It's, yeah. And, and the lift is kind of heavy sometimes. But the theory is that enough people get involved that have good artistic sensibilities and care about the community that really the thing begins to sort of energize itself. And what's happened in cases where someone's approached you with an idea and you've been very excited about it and for whatever reason, it's bombed? (laughs) How do you deal with that? How long do you let it go? And and have you dealt with things where people have turned out to be flakes? Oh, yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, yeah. If we were... um, major league batters we would be busted down to the minor leagues a long time yeah (laughs) well that would mean you're succeeding less than 30 percent of the time (laughs) yeah and it depends on what it is but you know the thing about i think we front load the idea about people coming on and doing a show enough to where they know what the expectations are Mm -hmm. it was shocking at the very beginning when we went on the air in 2011 and i'll never forget brett netson who's one of our programmers who was a guy and built the spill and caustic Mm -hmm. resin Kind of a local legend. He's a local mm-hmm. legend. And he comes up to me in his wild-eyed way, and he says, Wayne. I go, what? And he said, I've played every favorite song of mine. I'm done. And I'm done. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and this was after about four months. He this goes, was fun. I'm he done. goes, what do I do? <laughs> I'm like, well, it's this word called discovery. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and to his credit, he's definitely, he's gutted it out, you know. But a lot of people don't you know they find every i think if you think well you can be a radio dj everyone's like whoa that would be it sounds really like cool. a really cool yeah, idea yeah yeah but i always make sure that there's no shame attached to the idea that you can do it for a while and if it's not for you it's not for you mm-hmm. that's just the way it is i'm sure you, you you don't i mean those slots i'm sure they don't go begging there must no. be people eager to do this yeah no they don't i mean the special ones are the people that are just perfectly happy at a 1 a.m slot proverbial late night <laughs> That's <slide>. a unicorn. <laughs> yes. So Radio Boys, he's been involved with Tree Fort since the beginning? Yeah. They, they, they sort of hatch right about the same time, right? Yeah. The first Tree Fort was the year after we went on the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how much is that relationship mutually beneficial? Oh, beyond measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's terrific. I, I, I can't say enough about it. I think... The way I likened our relationship was, in the early days, was like a bunch of teenagers going through their gawky phase and having to share a room. So it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't without its 
awkward moments? Yeah, it wasn't without our, its misunderstandings or awkward moments. And I think the whole idea, people that came on and they started the radio station a lot of times were people, like I said, grew up with community radio, right? People in their 40s, maybe, late 30s. And so the idea of an indie music festival, we didn't know what that was. Are you are you kidding me? And 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 now we know what it is, mm-hmm. right? So it's been sort of a mutually educational thing. The other thing about starting the radio station is a lot of people didn't know the restrictions that we have affiliated with a nonprofit community radio station. You know, you can't promote stuff in the traditional sense. You can't speak qualitatively about stuff whereas in the tree fort world, it's all promotion, right? Mm-hmm. And so to make sure that those two things were still being honored was an interesting transition. Uh, it was educational, for sure. I feel like it probably, just because of the Festival of Discovery that tree fort is, you know, like Netson's kind of hang up. Maybe people are, and DJs are probably finding new music to bring to the airwaves mm. through Tree Fort and their artists and kind of. Yeah, it's terrific. And it's not just about the radio station being a shill for Tree Fort, right? right? It's like it's allowed us to. You talk about the events that we have, like the couch surfer events, or we go sure. out to your campfire stories and record that stuff. Yep. You like how I call it your campfire stories? That's, That's nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, yes, a reading series that I help produce in the summertime. Yeah, which is a terrific thing. Um, Tree Fort's given us an opportunity to give ourselves dimension, right? We're just not there in two dimensions coming through your ears. Mm. We can be out there embodied because we often write imaging pieces. Like there's a classic one that one of our DJs reads that we have something a lot of other radio stations don't have people (laughs) and so we have with those people the opportunity to go out and have a stage people performing live you know and tree fort and eric particularly or tim (laughs) have been nothing but instrumental in you know fostering that you know great development in our mutual yeah and the stage your stage has grown you know, each year, absolutely. Um, just mm-hmm. as far as the actual size of the stage and the programming, and but it's right in the middle of the festival, right on uh, downtown. You know, Boise's and Grove Street. Yeah. yeah, you know, it is like right down the midway. Yep. Yeah, last year we did two showcases. We did a, a showcase with the Portland station X Ray on Friday, That's right. and then we did a showcase with KXP, the Seattle station, on Saturday night. Really, 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 yeah, great. really fun. And Larry, Larry, and I are quite familiar with KXP from back we in the day. Seattle, Seattle days. so gotcha, and so. Um, I was going to ask too, I'd back on the music front, kind of discovering, I remember, remember you know, living in Seattle and KXP, you know, play some kind of weird stuff. We used to stuff say KXP they, where you guarantee if you hear a song you like, you won't hear it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did. But it was a, a big influence on just my <laughs> musical tastes and just kind of finding cool stuff. And I think that you probably feel that that's kind of, you were influencing along with Treeport and other DJs you have just influencing maybe just the the tastes of you know of music lovers in Boise and as far as your your reach is but um, yeah I I hope so I I hope what it does is it just invites a sense of discovery and to like have radio affiliated with that is a crazy notion here in the Treasure Valley (laughs) yeah we're only in year nine of that idea I think so. But yeah, we were talking about that with Eric Gilbert about, I guess, just, you know, when Tree Ford first came around, I mean, this was kind of a common problem, you know, from living in Boise and around here that bands, but this is like flyover territory. So almost as you guys come on board and then the... This is so sad to hear you guys Yeah, I mean, flyover country. It was not, I mean, for music, it definitely was. I mean, we talked about that, but I think that having your partnership, I imagine, with Tree Ford and with the community in general kind of has helped us. I mean, you do showcases like at the Neurolux, you know, on Tuesdays and you do in studios and all that kind of stuff. But musicians have more outlets, which is great, I think. Um, So just to note that, I guess. Well, and a question Mm -hmm. I have for Jessica, when you took this job, the Tree Fort connection was already there and it was already probably a pretty large part of the job. But how does your job change during Tree Fort? Or the months leading up. I guess it's not just like, oh, Tree Fort's here. I better change my job. (laughs) That's a good, that is a very good question. Thank you. I I do this stuff. Well, I'll say it's interesting. When I did first get this job, I was still living in Colorado. And I think I got the job the week before Tree Fort started. Oh, boy. But so you sat that one out. I did. But but I will say that watching from afar, that was 
pretty incredible. To get you excited? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And we have, uh, during the festival, you know, we have a lot of volunteers who are going out, basically curating our social media content with that. And what was, I was could not wait to get here, I think, um, and fit into the role. Mm -hmm. And that had already been the case after I interviewed. And I'm like, oh, I've got really, really, (laughs) this would be amazing. And and got it. And then what was interesting about that is then the next year when I was here, I already had a sense of what the festival was about. And in terms of what how my job changes, I will say that there's so many people that are engaged at the station, both staff and volunteers, making our aspect of that happen, that my day-to-day doesn't necessarily change. But certainly during the festival, it's just it's such an incredible place to be in that you've got this, it's a quiet oasis in some ways. Uh, You've got everything going on outside and we've got our stage and various things out there. But when people can come down to the in-studios and you have this unique opportunity to see bands performing live down there in such a different setting, Mm -hmm. Um, and they're often still planning on going to see them, but there is something, even though, um, you know, with the way our setup is, they're also watching some of that on the screen as sure. the band's performing. But they, have, but, but they also have the opportunity to meet the band mm-hmm. many times right after they play at our radio station because mm-hmm. they're literally six feet away. Yeah, you know? right. Because you're where is your station, by the way, so people can come bug you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then last year I had someone mm-hmm. say, "Oh, I just I just went to the bathroom and." The singer from Rebel Bucket well, was in there. <laughs> I was just those stories. Yeah, yeah. This, this may be projecting, mm-hmm. but if I were you, I would think this is what a perk. Like, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, it really is. Well, and what's great too is talking with folks in the band, and it's not just the Radio Boise experience. Like everyone here is legitimately just. Yeah, this is great. Everyone wants to hang out with bands too. Everyone wants to hang out with bands, <laughs> and they're just treated. Well, they're treated so well in that, like, there's just this, you know, not to be all Pollyannish sounding, but there is a sense of kindness that does really, you know, you can just feel it throughout everything. Yeah, I I think the hospitality factor is pretty high, and we do place a large premium on it. And it's interesting because a lot of bands, uh, Treefort, I believe, Eric may have commented on this, was designed to capture some of the some of the acts that were coming out of South by yeah. Southwest, some of the acts that do come up by South from South by Southwest feel very appreciative of mm-hmm. our, our approach. Mm-hmm. So I never asked Eric if after they play here for Treefort, if they then go on to complete their West coast swing. Yeah. You know, or if they just go back home. I don't know. There is another I, festival out there. I think that is follows. There, I can't remember where it is, though, but it's up yeah, here. Neither so. can I, I, I think you've seen this in the last three or four years, bands, constructing their tours around festivals, you know? Yeah. I wanted to ask you guys about the symbiosis of the relationship you have with Treefort. And specifically, after I read that piece where you described five things, five lessons learned from starting a radio station, you came into Treefort with experience starting something and managing volunteers and herding the cats. Mm -hmm. Do they use you as a resource? Do they use both of you or all of you as a resource for those sorts of things? Uh, for like volunteer, just figure uh, out how to run a big volunteer operation. I yeah, I don't think as directly maybe as as some people think. Mm-hmm. I I think part of it, you know, a lot of people at the forefront of Tree Fort started right off the bat as DJs at our radio station. So that and being part of our volunteer crew and seeing how volunteers were run, I'm sure had to have affected those guys. We share quite a few volunteers nowadays we're actually uh, drawing from some of the same buckets and I think our focuses are very similar right we're trying to get as many kids involved is there, is there as a possible. volunteer class in Boise yeah maybe <laughs> we're available what do you guys need yeah I mean that's one thing we I mean, you, talk you about tap into now, them too right but yeah Treefort has like pushing a thousand volunteers every year or maybe even a little more so yeah, it's, 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 it's significant and yeah. what's the age breakdown is it mostly young kids or are there some like Elderly people like myself. Hey, people this is a great even way older to, than you. Wow, no so, way. Would but, you be uh, welcome? Yes, you would. Yes. Thank you. I really, any appreciate as long that. as you're harder you know, and harder, you know, you know, <laughs> not a minor, basically. You know, there is a core of actually little kids. kid fort. They're the cadets, they call them. So they come from local schools and uh, so yeah, it seems like a good and they helped us move a lot of furniture thing. last year. So the cadets were eager. We we put them to work, but yeah. So I mean. It's been cool to see, yeah, some crossover from just people I see at the station yeah. and then 
people. I actually think one of our interns is going to be a guy named Jared, who I haven't met yet, but he works with you for, um, I think he does video and stuff. But it's cool oh, to see yeah. him. Basically, he's, he's going to be a story for it, volunteer, I mean, well, volunteer, intern. He's going to get credit for it. But So yeah, there's a lot of cross-pollination. It does seem like sure. there's mm-hmm. a lot of crossover, not just in Treefort, but in all of the creative space here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys swap out volunteers a lot. Um, and PA equipment. I wanted to ask you both if, not if, but how the participation in Treefort and the Radio Boise stage has changed since the first year and, and even since you came in 2015. I assume it's grown, but also has mm-hmm. its purpose changed and has the way you execute it changed and have there been any big surprises that you didn't see coming? Mm. Well, I think the largeness of it last year was, yeah, that was a big transition. It was a big stage. And so what's changed about booking at Radio Boise in general is also what's changed about Treefort is starting to become a known quantity in the college radios or the community radio circuit, Mm -hmm. like vis-a-vis KXP or X-Ray or places like that. We're maybe to a certain extent, the Idaho version of that. And so... Dave Mannion, Joe Pollard, myself, and a few other people, we set about booking these bands once the announcements are made in January. And it was last year, the first time, we we always have the A-list, right? We're like, well, let's shoot for the stars, mm-hmm. right? And a bunch of them said yes. We're like, what? <laughs> what, what, what do we do now? Careful what you wish for. Yeah. Who, were those, who were those bands or A-list last year? Chai, Rubble Bucket, uh, The Muckers... Um, nice. You know, if you look at the Tree Fort post- poster, they were in the bolder, right, the bigger font. They right? Above the fold. Yep. And so our mission has always been not to just do that, but to like mix it all together. But we we struck out quite a bit in the early going, and just the known quantity part of it was pretty eye opening for us. And then also who we were able to book on that stage out there with the kxp showcase i just got a wish list from cheryl waters and uh she's like okay first tier second tier third tier i'm like okay we'll go about it it came to the 11th hour but we got a combination of the first tier and the second tier and they were just like yeah of course ila bamba was up there and some really really cool bands so that had some logistical pressure right but it is something that you planned for it is. It is. Yeah. We we plan for it. And then while we're in the middle of it, we manage the size of it you know, mm-hmm. or the magnitude of it, which is sort of like, you know, you grow in incremental steps, but they're not always the same, you know. And then well, it might rain, too. What are the contingency plans for rain? Just It rained last year, right? It did a little, little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, I don't know. I think you just go with it. Plastic just, over yeah. the XLRs. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It snowed one year at Treefort. I was there. Actually, yeah. that was twice, I guess. I was. You were yeah. there. That was a wet snow. It went away fast. But that there was, was that Sunday morning snow. Yeah. yeah. I think that was two years ago. That was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I was really excited about that. I did that. melt I by you were there. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. really excited. <laughs> yeah. Look at I took pictures. But that's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of that cusp of the season right there. So it is, you know, the people tough it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. definitely. Well, and I guess that you know the word that always comes up when you talk to people involved with Three Ford is growth, and no one really—I mean, I almost said Tim again. Eric, Eric <laughs> talked about Eric talked about managing growth, but no one's really talked about a cap, you know, a limit. Mm. Like, how big do you get? Do you guys think mm. in terms like, well, we don't want to get too big because it won't be fun anymore, or is it always just sky's the limit, keep it coming? I think as long as it's thinking of growing bigger, like a tree grows bigger then uh-huh. I think that's just fine. Oh, with a good root system? The good root oh, system, yeah. you know, Looking. incremental year by year. You're this is your rings. chance gardener moment. <laughs> it is my chance gardener moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, you can equate growth with negativity or positivity. And, but I think it's, yeah, it's the type of growth and change that you're really trying to. Especially in a case like this, because I, I feel like, and again, this is probably personal bias, but I feel like South by Southwest is a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a success story, though. I guess they would say it's a huge success story because sure. it makes a buttload of money. Right. But I mean, we rem- I remember when it was an indie rock showcase. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. And it's been a long time since it was that. So I always wonder. And and I guess you know, you guys maybe it's because you're in your I would fly over island that <laughs> 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 nobody seems to have that. I'm going to go on Oprah type of ambition. Yeah. You know, you all seem pretty yeah. happy. There's there are other music promoters in town that kind of go for that oh, a little big, more. Like I, you know, 
for name sure. names. But you know, the people are going for a different vibe and the kind of the mm-hmm. big, big I, national acts. Getting Pitbull in here yeah. type of thing. Pitbull, I, I did see Pitbull last right. year. So that was an uh, <laughs> experience. Actually, that's the name I, of the... I don't yeah. feel it yet, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, a few years I, away. I, I think we might feel it considering all the uh, anecdotes we get from people coming up from South by Southwest. That was, that's been from the very beginning. We'll see. I mean, I always look at how the lineup is constructed in, in Eric and the Others world. The one thing I've seen this year is that, you know, there's an indie centric, but there's some big jazz artists coming too. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And I'm like, wow, like new jazz, like modern jazz, you know? Um, and that is a really cool development. But if you look at like, I don't know, you tell me, you look at like festivals like Coachella, it's a world where Team Impala now meets Beyonce. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All those things that were factionalized before. But do you, so that's an interesting example to bring up. When you yeah. think of, is that something you would go to? I think we'd have to get there first. I, I certainly am not going to set out to. Yeah. You know? You mean like physically but go to? Both. <laughs> would you attend Coachella? I don't know if I would. I don't think me. I would. I'm not sure I would either. It mm-hmm. seems like an awful. But is that, the, but then on the other hand, is that the sort of success you, not even success, is that the sort of state you dream of? I don't, no. th- I don't think so. Because I feel like I even, don't think so. I mean, and doing the radio station too, you guys are, growth is a part of your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not that, there's different types of growth. Right, absolutely. Right. I was going to say that. Because I will story for just to chime real you quick. Too. But we, you know, we are kind of at capacity. I feel like as far as a number of, you know, it's five days, you can only do so much. Right. It's part of a larger festival. But sort of the growth from the quality or diversity of artists or kind of types of programming is kind of where we see it. I mean, because I think the festival itself is like 450 bands and I don't know that they probably want to get any more of that. I don't want to speak for them. Well, I don't think growth is necessarily 500 bands or 500 storytellers, but it's bigger names. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. To me, the gauge is like if we, if every A-lister we ask says yes. Right. (laughs) But you're in control of your A-list. We are. Your A-list mm-hmm. probably doesn't include Pitbull. Not yet. <laughs> Chris really enjoyed seeing Pitbull. I mean, more than I thought I would. But This it was, is the uh, first endorsement it, I've heard of Pitbull, I mean, so I'm, he I'm was willing just, to change. I was expecting the worst, I, you know, so, but it was not. <laughs> but it was strange, that's for sure. But um, I was going to say something else along those lines. But yeah, uh, maybe the, just, the, I mean, the the, I guess like, the, like back to the whole Festival of Discovery, I don't think... I mean, I don't want to speak for music, but I don't think us at Storyfort um, would really want, we want to well, showcase locals. We want to showcase, you know, kind of new act, new acts and also maybe get, you know, New York Times bestsellers on stage and that kind of stuff too. But it's, I don't think that the festival would be the same if it was all like, you know, it was like the Sun Valley Writers Conference is all these huge names mm-hmm. every year. And um, it just doesn't seem as interesting to me. So that's part of definitely our goal, I think, at Storyfort is to keep it, you know, grassroots, well, but also good big name it's a balance it's right because yeah. do you all think and, and eric would have been better qualified to answer this question but is are these festivals at the point now where you don't need a big name to get people to come there my feeling mm-hmm. is that tree fort might be that way mm-hmm. you know yeah I, I i do think they probably always aspire to reach out to like other people in the valley you know mm-hmm. and we think about that a lot too like reaching outside of the boise floodplain moving west you know and i think that's where someone like George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars <laughs> came into play. You know what I mean? It's like somebody from CUNA or Caldwell might be go, oh, yeah, of course. I'm going to come see those I guys. See, I thought you were going to say country, to, huh? but that would be reaching east and up, I guess, not yeah. west. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't mind a little country. How, how far is your reach, by the way? Where, where can I mean, find it sort of online? We go halfway to Mountain Home, and we go, well, we're our... Our license takes us to Baker City, but it really takes us mm. to the Lime Factory, you know, in that canyon oh, yeah, yeah. when you're on your mm. way. That's about where it, it craps out. And then just a little bit north of uh, Jordan Valley. And then some of our, we've heard tell of our broadcast reaching up into McCall um, on the right day. And, and so like, if you don't know Boise um, very well, if you've never been here, you're listening from across the globe, how big of a reach is that mileage-wise about? 120 across, 80 to 100 uh, 120 lengthwise and about 80 across. That's great. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, how much of your listenership is streaming versus terrestrial? Uh, probably about, what do you know? 
Uh, I think it's roughly 50-50, okay. essentially, or at least. And it, it's obviously, you know, the tracking on that is pretty different. But, um, I mean, it, and part of it must be you get responses from people in faraway places. We do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy faraway places sometimes. Yeah. It's That's like, pretty cool. Huh, That's got to feel pretty good. It's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a time I think someone did a little geographic survey and there was an, an inordinate number of listeners in Malta. Malta. Yeah. Malta. Huge in Malta. That yeah. used to be like huge in Malta. <laughs> that was the indie yeah. rock joke, like back in we're huge in Latvia. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you have a YouTube station as well with some cool programming. Yeah, that's where all the videos go from the live bands that we shoot. You can see all the tree fort stuff up there. You can see stuff we do every Friday afternoon. The so, Couch Server Artist Series. That's that's, that's very true, my friend. That's, that's very true. It's fun. Well, since we're at the point where we're starting to wrap it up, why don't you give us the websites that they can find that stuff on so no one sure. has to go searching. Yeah, it's pretty easy. I mean, you can stream us online at radioboise.org and then the YouTube is just youtube.com forward slash radioboise. The playlist is right there, front and center. Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff on SoundCloud. and uh... Definitely, definitely. We put a lot of uh, like the uh, some of our live stuff on SoundCloud and then uh, a local entity called Story Story Night puts out a show on our, our program called Stray Theater, which is our theater uh, readings literary series. You'll hear Mr. Christian Wynn on that show quite mm. frequently because he yeah. does so much out there in the community. We do. Uh, it's fun. And, um, yeah, and it's on SoundCloud, too. And all the Storyboard events, you guys are sending volunteers or you're, stu- you know, to pretty much get a capture sound, you know, audio from nearly all of them. Out of what we do yeah, we cover, a lot of the, we cover a lot of the Storyboard stuff. That's definitely. pretty great. So we appreciate that. And sure, like we do too. Relationship we have there. Fantastic. Well, we're going to wrap it up. So I want to thank uh, Tim and Jessica for coming out. <laughs> <laughs> How many Tims Twan. are there? I'm just going to call everyone Tim. <laughs> the, the, the Tims are multiplying. Tim. I want to thank Wayne Tim and Jessica Tim for coming out. And <laughs> Christian you, Tim. 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 This is Larry Tim Rosen. Um, thank you to Eavesdrop and to the Tree Fort Fest. Three, four music fest. Do I have to say music every time? Really? Yeah, there's music. Right. Well, has it been? It's more than music, obviously. Well, I, I, it's a I, podcast. I, yeah, and it's right. a storytelling. It's That's all what that, I mean. But it's Tree like, Fort Fest. Mm-hmm. It's a whole fest. But the umbrella, you the larger umbrella, is the music fest. I want to thank Tree Fort Music Fest and Eavesdrop and everyone named Tim out there in the world. Christian, where will we see you next? We'll uh, see you at the fest. <laughs> all right, then. There you have it. That was our episode. Sat down with Jess Ebbett and Wayne Burt from Radio Boise, and good old Larry Rosen and I were hosting this episode. We hope you're doing well. Um, it's a lot of uh, civic and civil unrest out there in the world and a pandemic, but we're thinking about you. And you can find more information about Radio Boise at radioboise.org. You can also find more about the eavesdrop, E-A-S-E-drop is where they're website resides. We want to thank Tree Fort. We want to thank Up Is The Down Is A for our theme music. And we want to thank just uh, all of you for listening. And someday soon, we'll see you at the fest. But tomorrow never came.